But we're getting back to uh, our new series that we're starting. I'm excited about it. I know next week that uh, Pastor Doug and Paula Allen will be with us, and so he'll be sharing. But honestly, uh, the Encounter Weekend will, will dovetail into everything that we're going to be teaching in our new series uh, because we're getting the inside right, because we're to live life from the inside out. And so I'm excited about that. I know Bishop's coming, and he likes to talk about this area. So he'll be preaching again this month and sharing in this, this area as well. And we'll probably get into April. We've got Easter coming. April 1st, April 1st is Easter Sunday morning. There's a certain irony, is there not, to April 1st being Easter and uh, also what the world puts on the calendar is April Fool's Day. Well, we're not here to fool you. He's really alive. And uh, so we, we will not be practicing any, any fool's errand on April 1. But we will honor the resurrection. And so I know there's some special things that are kind of uh, being slid into our schedule. So we'll probably dip into April because this is such an important area. Uh, in fact, I think the... the concept of the inner man is probably the most important and needful lessons the body of Christ needs probably in our current era. It used to be, in our circles, a fairly common knowledge. And I suspect for some of you that as you listen to the teaching that will be coming forth, it'll be a refresher, it'll be a reminder, we'll be knocking some of the familiarity off hopefully so it will be fresh to you. But the key to all of our lessons that we're going to be bringing to you is this, that if you want to be successful, if you want to have a sense of joy and peace, if you want to get your hope back, if, if you're looking for that consistent victory uh, that the Lord has promised He would give, you've got to get a hold of what's going on inside of you. Now, <clears throat> this isn't the text today, but in the book of Ephesians... The whole series, I'm just springboarding off of Ephesians 3.16. But I'll get to our text this morning in just a moment. But in Ephesians 3.16, we read these words. It says, Paul writes, that he, meaning the Lord, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might, some of your Bibles will say power, through his spirit, where? in the inner man so paul is praying a principle here when he says that inside of you he's praying for the church and 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 again it transcends from them into us he's praying for us that that god by his spirit would come and strengthen something inside of us called the inner man now the interesting thing is, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? What if I don't want him to do that? Or what if I don't like that? Or what if I'm not sure about that? Well, it's interesting because he tells us in the same prayer what can begin to take place if God begins to do that inside of each one of us. He says in that 20th verse, if you'll go on down in that third chapter, he says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that works where? In us. Now, I don't know about you, but I sure enough would love to see the Lord come and do something that could exceed anything I can think of. And I don't know about you, but I can think of some pretty big things. So, 
if we can get a hold of this inner man stuff, you, you can begin to break through into a whole new dimension of Christian living. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. And so our series is Inside Out, and today uh, I'm going to open it up by talking about what I've entitled, How We Are Created. How we are created. You think you know, perhaps, and you may know biologically how you're created, but I want to take uh, our opening lesson and I want to just share with you how God said He had designed us as human beings so that we can all be on the same page, so to speak, generally understanding how it is that we've been constructed spiritually. And I want to read a passage, believe it or not, out of the Old Testament out of two different versions. The first one I use is the New King James Version. That's the one I usually read from. And it's Proverbs 4.23. 4.23, this is what we read. It says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep that in mind. It says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Now it's interesting that in the Message Bible which the message is not a translation, it's more of what we call a transliteration, which means somebody reads the, the scripture and then just begins to write it sort of as God just was speaking to them, but it's within that same context. And I read the message Bible, I think there's some great insight that one can derive from it, although I, I believe the translations are the way uh, that we need to read at all times. But this is how uh, the message Bible translates it. It says, keep vigilant watch over your heart, that's where life starts. That's where life starts. Life didn't start just when you came out of mom's womb and you squealed and everybody scrambled in order to make you quit screaming. Life began, it says, life starts in that heart area. The most overlooked Underconsidered and neglected part of who we are is the inner man. It's interesting to me that we spend billions of dollars on all sorts of things. We spend, as a nation, we spend billions of dollars on health. In fact, how many of you have been to the doctor? You know insurance, all the insurance uproar we've been going through with national health care and all the debates and discussions. And I don't know about you, but but I, I couldn't even afford premiums anymore. I had to go a whole new route with regards to my health care because premiums had gotten up so high. It was crazy. How many of you know it's expensive to be sick? It's expensive to have good health. We spend untold billions of that. Now, this I'm, I'm not picking on the ladies, but you know it's true. How much do we spend on beauty? Oh, it got quiet in here all of a sudden. This is necessary. Prioritized expense. That's what my wife says. Hey, you know, we, we spend money on, on, hey, keeping our teeth white, brushing our teeth, getting our haircuts. Of course, I'm to the, you know, moment in my life where, where I just sit in the bathroom now and Trace just uses a razor and we can, we can get away kind of saving some money with my head. But to keep, to keep my wife's glory going, we have to spend some money to keep that thing rolling. Her hair is her glory, that's right. How about nutrition, our food, exercise? How much money gets spent on gyms and gym equipment? Think about this. How about our education? Some of us here, if you live in Charleston, and I don't blame you, but, but 
Some of us homeschool. Some of us sent our, our kids to private school. Let me tell you, it was expensive to get my youngins trained. I mean, it cost money. Mental health. I'm writing things down. Drugs. Do you know how much drugs cost? I'm talking about the legal ones. Therapy. Think about all the things that we spend money on. And yet as a whole, with all these monies that are being spent in all these different areas, we're, we look good, but we are dysfunctional. We're crazy, but we're sharp. That doesn't ever cause anyone to stop and say, why is that? I want you to think of your personal budget for a moment. Just think of your personal expenditure, what we used to call your checkbook register. How much money or investment do you direct to your spiritual inner workings and well-being? Think about that. If life starts out of the heart, if life begins springing out of the inner man, if this is where life is happening first, if this isn't right, can you begin to get the revelation that probably not much else in your life is ever going to be right until that part gets right? Now, it's not to shame you, but to simply illustrate that we don't consider this aspect of our life. And so the Proverbs pa passage gets us started. This is what the Proverbs passage says. It said that we were to keep, keep uh, our heart. Or some of your versions would say guard your heart. The word keep actually means watch over it, maintain it, or strengthen it. So I'll get to the heart here in just a moment. But whatever the heart is, the Proverbs writer says that you need to watch over it. You need to maintain it. Did you see that? Maintain it. Or you need to strengthen it. So he's speaking to all of us here. You may know Jesus. You may not know Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, and we'll deal with that in a moment, but even if you've walked with the Lord for decades, he's saying to you, of whom all the knowledge of the universe resides, you're still to watch over your heart. You're to maintain it. You're to strengthen it. That's what he begins with. Now think about that for just a moment. If you're going to keep a friend's car or you're going to keep something uh, in good working order, what would you do? Well, you, you would do all of those things. You'd watch over it. You'd maintain it. You would strengthen it. That's what we're to do with our inward self. The second thing he said was, for out of its springs, it's interesting, out of its springs the issues of life. The Hebrew word springs literally means flows or releases or the ability to handle or navigate. So we haven't got to the heart yet, but he says this. He says, you've got to maintain, you've got to watch over, uh, you've got to strengthen this in, inside heart that's going on because out of it is going to flow or release something that's important, and, and it's going to also give you the ability to navigate or handle some things. So how many of you know we're getting to some important concepts here? And then finally, the word heart, I have come to the conclusion, everyone may not agree with me, if you ever decide you're going to go on your own personal study of the inner workings spiritually of a human being, of a believer, uh, you're going to find that there are a lot of people who kind of look at things from different angles and different ways. But at least for my purposes, 
I'm, I'm looking at the heart. When the word heart comes up, I see the word heart as the spiritual synonym for the inner man. It's the synonym for the inner man. In other words, they're interchangeable almost when the heart is mentioned. Now, we all know there's a biological heart that's pumping inside of you. But when the Bible, I believe when it speaks of heart, it's talking about this inner spiritual workings of what's going on inside of every human being. There's a spiritual aspect of who you are uh, that needs to be recognized and needs to be dealt with. So as we're going through this, I want to give a quick overview of how all of us were created. Whether you're male, female, it does not matter. All of us were created in a certain way that I just want to make sure we kind of got a handle on. And uh, you may hear some different nuances or emphases as we go through the series, but I'm, I'm simply sharing this with you so we can kind of, as a whole, get some general baseline understandings. There are two general categories of how we were created, and the first category is what we call the outer man or the natural man. In other words, when we look at each other, we're looking at a shell, right? In fact, all of you would agree, I would imagine, that right now you're looking at Pastor Baird. But let me just say that what you see is the shell of who I really am. There's a, there's a Pastor Baird inside of there <laughs> that, that will live on. In other words, this shell will stop. This shell, will, you know, this shell has gained a few pounds through the years. This shell has lost some hair. This, this shell is winding down. This shell, this shell, I mean, it's, it's great, you know, when I was in my 20s and, and you know, I was, I was more athletic and I could, you know, do more athletic things, I, I, I had a fuller head of hair, I, you know, I had, I had pretty good abs, you know, now don't, we won't even talk about abs now. It's interesting, though, how most of the time, is it not we relate to each other on the basis of our outer shell? Now, this isn't in my notes, but this is also interesting that Paul said that we were to know no man by the flesh. See, so, so if I'm looking at Pastor Brad, ultimately, Pastor Brad has a shell, too. But, but there's another one. <laughs> there's another. I won't say anything, Brad. There's another Brad inside of there that's, that's going to live eternally. And by the way, we're all going to live eternally. The only question is where you're going to live it. There's an inner man inside of there. Uh, but the outer man or the natural man is what is visible. It is, it is what is seen. We call it our body. And it is run by our five senses. Your body ostensibly at, 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 in its most natural state is run by the five senses. The five senses, you should know this if you went to elementary school and you were listening. The five senses are taste, touch, sight, smell, and hear. Those are your senses. And realize this, you don't think about it because every day goes by and all five senses are working inside of you. I want you to know you would have to pay $300 to go to a psychiatrist and for him to start helping you. He wouldn't even tell you all of this to start helping you understand how your insides work. I'm, I'm helping you right now understand that your shell operates with these five senses and most of the time these five senses are what are calling the shots in your life for most people in their most natural state they're dominated by their senses they're, the senses 
begin to see something, hear something, taste something, feel something, and, and their senses begin to send signals to the inside of us, and those signals are going to be processed inside of us in such a way that we're going to begin to make decisions based on those signals as to what we want to do with what kind of we're feeling or thinking or seeing. And the body, the body follows in its most natural state the senses. Now hear me when I say this, the senses are not evil. These senses are not bad. They're not evil. How many of you know God created us with these senses? In fact, how many of you know that there have been moments some of you would testify to that, that God came to you and you felt Him? Is that not true? You, or you may have used the word sensed Him. Uh, there are moments that we can hear. We hear the word of the Lord. That's not evil. So senses in and of themselves are not evil, but what's dominating those sense, senses will determine to no small degree exactly how your life is going to shake out. Because how many of you know that your life and what you're living right now really is based on the quality of decisions you've made up to this point? Is that not true? That's hard. That's kind of a hard thing, too, to kind of assimilate. And, and, and this was revelational for me. I'm going to give you a real revelational statement. Good decisions equal good life. Bad decisions equal bad life. Isn't that revelational? So how many of you know we want to make quality decisions? We want to make good decisions. Not just good decisions, we want to make God decisions. Because God's ultimate design for us is for us to live with a sense of righteousness, joy, peace, hope, a future. These are God, these are attributes of the Spirit that He wants us to live in no matter what our circumstances are because our circumstances manipulate what? Our senses. So if circumstances are manipulating your senses, your senses are feeding signals to the processing center, which I'm going to get there in just a second, and you begin to make decisions based purely on what your senses are telling you out of your circumstances, I will tell you just like I have learned, and I am not perfect at this either, I'm not even claiming to be perfect, but I can attest to the fact that we will make dumb decisions. And those dumb decisions cause us to experience all kinds of pain. And if I can keep you, and if the Lord can maybe use us through this time period to help you make better decisions by understanding how this works, we, we can do some incredible upticks in the quality of your life. Now, understand, if you don't know Jesus, your natural man is bent to sin. All of us are. We're not, we're, we do not come out of the womb neutral. All of us come out of the womb stained by the sin of adam so so not knowing jesus automatically tells us we're going to have a bent to probably making some really poor choices and, and so we know along the way that we're going to have to come to terms with jesus christ because he's the only one that has the ability to reach into this area of our life and to begin to put it back together and to mend it to heal it to resurrect it whatever the case may be in order to get it going again now the other area the inner man 
or the spiritual part of us. So you have an outer man, which is the natural body part, and now you have an inner man. These are the two general categories. The inner man is that spiritual part of who you are. This is where your life and the quality of your life will be decided. We do not believe that environment determines outcome. I'll say that again. Your environment does not determine your outcome. You can live in the projects, but you don't have to stay in the projects. You can live in some poverty, but you don't have to stay in your poverty. Your environment. Maybe you had the worst parents in the world. I mean, your parents, you know, your dad was Dr. Jekyll. That was his name. And he was the worst because you never knew if you were getting Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. But your environment and your dad, it has influenced you, of no doubt. It has affected you, no doubt. But it does not determine the outcome. So this is where, if you can get the inner part of you right, the quality of your life will begin to change. This is what Paul was saying needed to happen when he prayed for the Ephesians when he said, I'm praying that you might be strengthened with God's power or his might by his spirit in the inner man. Because if that begins to happen to you and me, we begin to step into another arena which causes God to do things above that which we could ask or think. Here's what we're frustrated with. Can I share you what we're frustrated with? Most of us are living life dominated by our senses and the outer man and we're ticked at God because he isn't doing the exceeding abundant thing that we could ask or think. Not realizing that as we're dominated by our senses that God wants to do something with us but we refuse to yield and allow him to do some work of strengthening and and, 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 and imparting and cleansing and all the things that have to happen inside of us. And not only that, we won't even watch over it. We won't maintain it. Yet that is where the issues of life, the Bible says, springs from. And so people come in and they're ticked at God and why God does this? God, 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 God. And God's saying, you don't even watch over your heart. Now, I'm just jolting us Again, not to shame you, not to beat up on you. I'm simply saying to you, I want you to have a great life. God wants you to have a great life. He he provided all things necessary. The question is, do you want a great life? Because if you do, then you need to hear what he's saying at this particular point. Now, the, the inner man has two areas. And I hope maybe you can write some of this down. But there's two areas in the inner man. There's the outer man, the inner man. Inside the inner man, there are two areas. The first area is your spirit. Yes, you have a spirit. In this spirit, this is the place inside of you where you will connect to God. If God talks to you, he will talk to your spirit. If God works with you, he's going to work within your spirit. The Bible says that even when we're born again, that his spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So if you're wanting to find a sense of security, where's that going to come from? It's going to come from your spirit. Most of the time we work out of our mind and I'll I'll get to that momentarily. But your spirit is where God will connect with you at. It's also the place where you're going to commune with God. 
Where does my communion or my, my, my fellowship or my worship, where does it come from? It comes from my spirit. People think I'm crazy when I pray in tongues or when I pray in the spirit. But you see, my inner man at that moment is praying. Out of my inner man, I'm communing with God. I'm speaking with God. I'm reaching out to God. In fact, the Bible says the Holy Spirit himself will move through my spirit, assisting me when I don't even know what to pray, to pray to God out of that heavenly language. It's not being silly. It's not being emotional. It's not, it's not somehow uh, shutting just my mind off. What it is, is I'm allowing my inner man to be strengthened with might in order that I might commune with him. Are you following me? It's also the place, if you want to know where, if God calls you to things, if God releases resourcing to you, the gifts of the Spirit, I believe all that exists when the Lord comes by His Spirit, in your spirit. Now here's the key, listen to me, that before you met Jesus, or if you've not met Jesus, this is just the, the fact of the Word of God, the Bible says that your spirit is dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. This is why you have to come to the Lord, you have to repent of your sins, you have to exercise faith, make confession with your mouth, Believe in your heart, receive the Lord, and the Lord himself comes to this area of your life. This is pre-conversion, pre-knowing Jesus. The Lord himself comes into your heart, and he makes this area of your life alive. So all of these things can begin to happen. If you don't want Jesus in your life, this is all moot. There's no interaction. In fact, when God's reaching out to you, that's why it takes God to reach out to you. That's why he initiates this thing. You don't initiate anything with God. He initiates it with you because you were dead in trespass and sin. We think, we think there was a day that we kind of got it and we opened up our eyes and we saw it and go, oh, you know, it's, and it was all about you. It was never about you. God's been wooing you and drawing you. And he's been initiating this thing because you're dead inside there. And even when life began to flicker inside of you, it only flickered because his spirit was trying to begin to enliven your dead spirit. Following me? This is why it's so important. It's why you, why, it's, this is really, it's almost impossible to counsel a lost person. Because ultimately, none of this can happen until they receive Jesus. All right, now the second area, which is the most fascinating area. We've spent all this time to get to this. The second part of the inner man, your spirit, and now I want to talk about your soul. This is another region. Your soul is uh, the decision center for your life. If you want to know where your decisions are made and where you process things, it's in your soul. I call it the courtroom. The soul is the courtroom where you will make the final verdict of what it is you're going to do in your life. Now, this area processes one of two things. The soul will either process what your senses tell it or what your spirit tells it. All right? So, so your soul is going to process whatever signals it's getting from whatever direction. Now, interesting, the soul has three major elements that are processing whatever it is that's being sent to it. 
So remember, what's being sent? My five senses or are the things that God is doing in me? What's being sent? And sometimes they're two. Sometimes those signals are antithetical to each other. They're actually the opposite of each other. Sometimes God will be telling you one thing and your senses will be telling you another thing. I tell this to teenagers. If you're in the back of a car and you're making out with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and all of your senses are going, go for it. But that God part of you is saying, no, 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 don't go for it. Number one, it's sin. And number two, I want you to be saved for who I really have for you. How many of you know there's signals being sent to you that are coming from two polar opposite directions? Well, it happens to all of us on numbers, in numbers of areas. So there are three major elements. It's where you'll find your mind is in your soul, how you think. Your will or your decision-making, that's the will. How do you choose? How do you make decisions? That's in your soul area. And finally, your emotions. How many of you know your emotions can be greatly affected by your senses? And yet there's God's part in you that can affect your emotions as well. Because all of us know that peace, joy, hope, and all of these wonderful, wonderful attributes uh, have a feeling attached to it. And the question is, when I have this incredible circumstance that's out of control, am I going to believe what my senses are telling me because they're telling me to freak out? Or will I yield to the spirit part of me where, where the, the, the fruit of the spirit reside and where we can find all those wonderful uh, pieces of God's nature residing in us and they're telling us to be calm, be at peace, keep your joy. Which one are we going to listen to? That's being processed in your soul. The mind, the will, and the emotion. How I feel. Now I'm just going to get it all on the table and I'm sorry if we're waiting in some deep water but I think it's important. And you can watch this again on YouTube if you need to. So if you aren't getting all of this, you can get it later. But your mind even has three areas as I've come to understand it. Your mind has a conscience in it. Paul said to the Ephesian church, he says that there's a part of it that's called the spirit of the mind. And I honestly believe that's the subconscious, that there's an area in your mind that puts latent experiences and tucks them away in there, files them away. And then the mind also has imagination. Now hear me, if if this is the mind and this is what's in the mind and your senses are throwing things at you or your circumstances are throwing things at you. I'm just giving illustrations here. But God's throwing things at you. I want to show you how this works. Because God, what God will do out of His Spirit uh, with your imagination is that He will begin to speak to you about your future. And He will give you a vision. And He will give you a reason for living. And He will give you this wonderful portrait of what life could be if you'll walk with Him and you'll talk with him, and you'll yield your life to him, he'll begin in that imagination to paint a picture like he did with Abraham when he said, look to the sky, how many stars are there? Abraham says, I don't know, I can't even count them all. And he says, so shall your seed be. You're going to have a family tree so big you won't even be able to count it. That's God speaking. But what do your senses say to you? Your Your senses say it'll never happen. Or it'll speculate. You know what you know what the corruption of the imagination is it's when you enter into speculation speculation is always when you begin to think and most of the time it's worry anxiety it's the what ifs and that's your senses because of your circumstances it's trying to send a signal to your soul that's corrupting this area that's causing you to think a certain way or it causes you to bring up 
issues of the past and apply it to that moment. Or, or, it's, or if it's really corrupt, how many of you know we're living in an era where the conscience is totally depraved? Nobody's listening to God anymore. We listen to our senses. If it feels good, what? That one, that one phrase is telling us how the world processes things. Your senses are telling you something, and if then it says to your soul, do it. Do it. All right? Now, depending on what your soul yields to, your spirit or your senses, will determine in large part how successful your life is going to be. Will you be powerful or will you be pathetic? And this is where the tug of war resides in many people. And this is what this sermon series is going to try to resolve is the tug of war. Now, here's the good news. If you think that you're the only one that has had this problem, I want to read something to you that I always, I always, I get a smile on my face whenever I read this out of God's word. Romans 7, beginning with verse 15, it says, this is Paul writing, Paul the apostle, Paul the mighty man of God, Paul who had the Damascus road experience, Paul. I mean, who's greater than Paul aside from Jesus? But Paul, I mean, he's right up there. This is what he says. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Is anybody there? For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good, that it is good. But now it is no longer I who did it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. How many of you know this is the Apostle Paul, and it sounds like he's reading my mail. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members." O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. This is what Paul was saying. He's saying, I, I'm in the middle of this gigantic tug of war. And every time I read this, I understand there's all kinds of things that are interestingly opened up in what he's saying there. But it, for me, it all boils down to this. Here's a guy, a believer. Here's a guy who's been saved. He's had an incredible conversion experience. He's been baptized in the Holy Ghost. He speaks in tongues. He has a full gospel experience. And yet he writes to the church at Rome these words. He says, I want to do right, but it doesn't seem like I always do it. And I have this tug of war going on inside of me. And even though there's a will, it seems like there's this other thing that's being thrown at me. And every time I read this, I say to myself, there is most of the people of God, that is the church. Right there. And the question is, is there an answer to it? And the answer is yes. And that's what we're going to explore in these coming weeks. Now again, Encounter Weekend begins to touch on many of these themes. 
But we're going to be addressing some of these on Sunday morning. So the question is, how do we get started living inside out? If you're interested in making better decisions, if you're interested in a, in a greater quality of life, if you're interested in finally, finally finding a sense of stability on the inside instead of letting everything around you determine how it is you're going to feel and walk, then you've come to the right place. Because I'm telling you, there's a work that God can do in the si inside of all of us that can give us a stability that even if all hell breaks loose, all heaven lives inside of me. Now, have I lived that out perfectly? No. But I'm committed to finding that place in such a way that it becomes a stable feature of my life. And I can tell you this from walking with the Lord. I find myself in greater and greater measure living out of my spirit than I do out of my senses. I want that very same thing for you as well. So how do we get started? And we're going to come back to some of this, but i got to give you some things that you can start to do today. Are you ready? Number one is you've got to diagnose your inner man. Now this came out in the word of the Lord today. There comes a moment that you just got to own up that you're screwed up. Now, I've said this to my people for years. Everybody's dysfunctional. The only thing that really matters is the degree. Nobody in the room can say, I've got no dysfunctionality because now you're a liar. We all know it. Everybody has dysfunctions. I still have dysfunctions. I, I guarantee you, the, the reason anybody who says... I. I you know, I don't have any problems. I don't have any dysfunctions. I, I don't believe that. I believe that if God wanted to, he could drop you into a situation that, that it would be the perfect situation that would punch whatever button inside of you is necessary to get you to recognize that it's probably not as good as you think. Most of the time, we say those words because we're trying to dodge the work of God inside of us. So I'm, I'm looking at you and we have determined that we're going to be a place of honesty as best we can, of transparency. Sometimes honesty and transparency is, is a little bit sticky. You can go to a church or you can hang around Christians and they can put on their plastic masks and, and they can tell you all's good and all's well. And if you could only go home with them. And it ain't happening at the household like they give the vibe, like it's, oh, it's all great. It, I'm, and everybody usually knows it. Nobody ever says it. So hear me when I say this. You have got to begin to diagnose your inner man. And, and the first diagnosis is that something, something isn't right. I've lost my peace. I've lost my joy. I've lost my hope. It's true. I am a controller. It's true that, that I have issues of trusting. I have issues of believing that there could be a better future. I speculate all the time. You know, I think bad things are evil things. I never believe the best. I, I could go down a list of things that all of us go through, and I'm telling you, there's a better place to live. I'm not, I'm not discounting your experiences, and I'm not discounting, discounting your current environment. What I am discounting is how you're seeking to fix it. This is what the Bible says, Matthew 12, 34. Jesus, most of the time, was speaking to the religious Pharisees, and when he was talking to them... He was always trying to get them to acknowledge the fact that no matter how spiritual they may appear to be on the outside, inside something was wrong. They looked good on the outside. They prayed all the time on the outside. They had the right clothes. They had titles. They had position. They had authority. They taught the scriptures. 
I mean, you think about Pharisees and the religious people in that day, and by the outside, it looked like they had a lot together. They understood how the temple worked. They understood how to counsel people. They had all the answers for all the questions. They had developed their whole book of convictions that they thought everybody ought to follow. I mean, it looked like they had it all together, but Jesus would ultimately look at that group and say this. He said, inside of you are dead men's bones. That's the American church. He says in Matthew 12, 34, though, he's talking to them. And anybody who ever tells me that Jesus was always loving and kind and never said anything hateful to anyone, I just, I point you to one verse here. He says, brood of vipers. You know what he's calling him? He's calling him snakes. You snake. You snake. What, what, what do you, what, why would you use that of a person? You snake. I'll tell you why he's using it, because he knows. He, 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 he knows they're, they're manipulators. He, he, knows, he knows what they do is impure in their motives and their intentions. And yet they, they walk around in their righteousness and he says, you snake. Jesus would never say anything that would hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah, well, I don't know what Bible you've been reading. He says, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How do you diagnose yourself? Listen to how you talk. Are you honest enough to hear what pops out of your mouth? It'll never change. I don't trust anyone. My life's no good. It's all falling apart. The trap door is going to open. The other shoe is going to drop. God doesn't love me. My spouse doesn't love me. My kids don't love me. Nobody loves me. Guess I'll eat worms. I mean, I mean you can doom despair and agony on me. Deep, dark depression. Excessive misery. I'm just quoting the famous theologians of hee-haw. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair. And agony on me. Listen, listen to what comes out of your mouth. Listen, if you're honest enough, ask some family members or ask your kids or ask somebody to say, what comes out of my mouth? They'll tell you. Because we have enough willpower that when we're in a situation where we don't want to feel like we're being looked at badly, we will switch whatever needs to switch in order to give the vibe we need to give off that everything's good with me. Everything's good. How you doing? doing good come on man for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks listen to what you're saying in matthew oh i thought we had is that uh i think that's 15 isn't it Let, let's jump over it's matthew 15 grab that real quick matthew 15 18 matthew 15 18 might have got a wrong reference there let me see maybe the right one yeah, but those things, Matthew 15, 18, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault witness, blasphemies. All right? So your mouth, your mouth is a good area to begin to see and diagnose what it is that's going on in your heart. Whatever starts popping out is stuff that's residing there in the inner man. Number two is this, then you have to begin to apply the treatment regimen. 
Now, does this sound a little bit like going to a doctor? Sounds a little bit like if you were to go in for a physical or, or you knew you were sick. You know, this, this year we've had incredible, uh, an incredible flu virus that has gone on and, and bronchitis and infections and sinuses. And there comes a moment, is it not true, that enough green stuff runs out of your nose or, or you throw up enough at night or you have the other issue that's coming from the other part of your body and there comes a moment you say, I can't take it anymore, I'm going to the doctor. And you go to the doctor and he begins to analyze and diagnose what it is that you have. And these days, they just don't dispense antibiotic like they used to. You know, years ago, they throw an antibiotic at anything. But they don't do it because if they give too much antibiotic, you develop resistance. And so they want to be a little more uh, careful about how they loose, loose these things towards us. But nonetheless, we go in there because we're wanting some medicine. We're wanting something that can help us to get through the issue that we're in. It's amazing how we'll do that. And it's amazing for some of us how much we'll pay to have that done. And I'm just saying that that's the same thing in our life. How much ooze has to come out of you, I'm not talking biologically, spiritually, before you say, I, I got to get treated. Well, you diagnose it and then you apply the treatment regimen. Now, I'm going to ask some questions and we're not going to get any answers here. But I just you can write them down. I want you to think about it. And in the days ahead, uh, we want to be able to answer, hopefully, some of these questions. Number one is, has your spirit been truly regenerated? This is the question is, are you really saved? Because we're going through a great struggle in, again, the American church over decisional evangelism and true conversion. We have people come, let's say, to the altars, and they say they make a decision but then they walk away and ostensibly their life has been no different. Now, it could be they just lack knowledge. But it could also be that they were not truly converted or truly regenerated. You understand that to be born again is a work of God. He works in you where he literally causes that dead spirit to come alive again. And so I'm not trying to get you to second guess necessarily your salvation experience but if your spirit has been regenerated there is within you the capacity for god to speak uh, uh, god to resource god to drop things in and sometimes when i listen to people and we evaluate lives and we listen to what they're saying and all the things that are going on i say to myself I, they can slap the label christian on their forehead but i don't know that they are it's not my business to judge them I'm not going to be the one they're going to stand before. I'm just asking the question. I'm not to judge it. I'm just asking it. Have you been truly regenerated? Has there been a moment you've been born again? You say, how do I know if I've really been born again? Go back. His spirit bears witness to your spirit that you are a child of God. Hey, Wesley preached the gospel. John Wesley, everybody's heard of John Wesley. He preached the gospel for years before he was born again. He went to Georgia from England to preach to the Indians. He was an abject failure. And when he jumped on the ship to go back to England and he met Peter Bolaire, the Moravian missionary, Wesley was on the side of the ship lamenting the fact of his, uh, of his failure. And he looks at Peter Bolaire and he says these words. At least he was honest. He said, I came to see the Indians saved, but who will save me? When was the last time any of us would say that? Not us, not in America. No, no, no. I'm good with God. I'm good. Just wasn't his timing to go to Georgia. I might have missed the season. 
That's what we do. And that's why we are powerless in this nation as believers. Have you been feeding your inner man the proper diet? You're born again, maybe spirit-filled, but have you been feeding your inner man the proper diet? Paul prays that you might be strengthened by his might or by his power in the inner man. What this assumes is this, that something from God has to come to you to strengthen that inward part of you. You say, well, what would that be? Well, I would suggest hearing his word, reading his word, having his word taught to you, preached to you. And, and I'm glad you're here on a Sunday, but you got to read the word through the week, strengthen through the week. I mean, you just can't live, you just can't live off you know, dessert. you got to get into the word. you got to get into the meat and potatoes. you got to get your vitamins. So we gotta, we got to make sure that the inner man is being fed. Or do you just simply feed your inner man all the gross stuff in the world? Do you, do you feed him you know, all the trashy stuff on television or the movies? Do you just feed him with you know, cable news network? I'm telling you, a lot, of people, a lot of people in the church, they just feed off of Fox News. And I'm telling you, it's not strengthening the inner man. What do you feed your inner man? That's a question we're going to have to ask ourselves. Has your inner man been examined... By the Holy Spirit. What that means is, is, is there a thorough examination? Do you let the Holy Spirit really look inside of you? And I'm talking about a lot of times it happens when we gather together because we're praying, the word is being taught, and if God begins to deal with your heart, do you just go, no, 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 I'll deal with that later. I'll do. Or do you let the Holy Spirit really examine you? Has your inner man received an outpouring of power and cleansing? You know, even the disciples, early disciples, that you find themselves being filled and refilled. In fact, in the Ephesian letter, Paul, when he said be filled with the Holy Spirit, it was in the Greek tense that says this, be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. So in other words, there's not a one-stop shop when it comes to the baptism with the Holy Ghost. That we are to present ourselves continually for refillings, the inner man. You, do you just eat one time? Does anybody here just eat one meal and that's it? Most of us don't eat just one meal a day. Some of us eat numbers of meals every day. Why is that? It's because there's something that has to happen in order to, to get us rolling. And so, um, anyway, has your inner man received an outpouring of power and inner cleansing? Is the inner man exercised... Or is he dormant? Uh oh, now we're going to talk about the exercise regimen. See, that inner man can't remain dormant. You have, to, you have to activate the inner man. How is the inner man activated? Every time you put your faith into operation, you're activating the inner man. And some of us haven't put our faith in operation for years. So what God does is he allows circumstances to come into our life that we gripe about. That was close. We gripe about the circumstances and our senses exercise dominion over us and we just sit there and go, why doesn't God move? Not realizing that we've been put into that very circumstance that the inner man might begin to exercise another level of faith so that he would grow stronger. Every miracle that God's going to bring your way is going to be birthed out of the inner man. It's going to be birthed out of your spirit. Everything... You've got you to gotta believe and know and hear before it ever happens out here. And I have to constantly be reminded of this. And the reason being is because our senses are powerful. 
I see with my natural eyes. I feel. I hear. I taste. I touch. And all of that is, is, is jazzing me to believe that my circumstances is more real than what God has said. And is that not all of our problems? We are convinced that our natural life and circumstance is far more real and powerful than what God has done in our spirit. And until this becomes our reality, I'm not denying that this exists. I'm just denying the fact that it has to have dominion over me. And that's why we call things that be not as though they are. We don't deny things that are as if they weren't. We call things that be not as though they were. And so, no, no, I don't have money to pay the bills. I don't have an answer for this relationship. I, I don't have a way through this circumstance. I don't see any open doors. I don't know what the answer is. But inside of me, my inner man arises and says, God has an answer. God will make a way. There's nothing too big for Him. He will give me the strategy. God will do these things and I call forth the open door. I call forth the resource. I call forth the miracle. Are you following me? And you're standing in the midst of a raging hurricane of circumstances around you and you look like a fool. But to God, He says, that's my man, that's my woman. Because greater am I in Him than He is in the world. Man, I've just preached myself into another realm. You may not want it. You may not get it. That's what I want. That's what Paul meant when he said that we are no longer mere men. I'm not just a mere man. There's a super part of me. Superman. What, well, what do you call somebody that you can throw? This is Paul said. I'm just, I can't translate it out of the Greek, but Paul said, basically, I've had dung thrown at me. I'm standing in the middle. Sorry, this probably offends somebody. Sorry, it's in the Bible. I'm standing in a poop pile. How many of you have ever stood in a poop pile? Metaphorically. And yet, in the poop pile, my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. There's not enough poop in the world to cover me up. That's coming out of the inner man. Now, I want you just to remember the word in Proverbs, i got to stop. The word in Proverbs which said to keep, keep your heart. Remember what I said to you, it means to maintain. In Matthew 23, 26, and I'm coming in for a landing right now. He's talking to the religious people again. I know none of us ever think we're Pharisees. We think Pharisaism has to deal with legalisms. And it's true to an extent. But Pharisaism is not just these people who made up their own rules and created this legalism. Pharisaism is the inability to recognize there's something wrong inside of you. Now, if that's the case, there's a whole lot more Pharisees than we probably ever imagined. Because I just won't recognize I got issues. But this is what he says. Blind Pharisee. First cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish that the outside of them 
may be clean also. Our tendency is not to deal with the spiritual portion, the inside portion of us. Our tendency, listen, here's our tendency, and I'm not against, and I'm going to say something, I am not against physicians, I am not against appropriate medication, I am not against, I am not against all the things that natural medicine might provide for us. I'm really, I'm not against it. I, I, I take ibuprofen on occasion, I've taken medicine, I've taken antibiotics, I've taken all these things, so I'm not against medicine, but hear me, what I'm about to say, it's this. Our first response to life is usually to medicate rather than to activate. Isn't that true? I'm not picking on, I'm not picking on parents or kids or anything, but we, we, we have problems and all, we, we, take them to the, we take them to the doctor for the outer man and they throw medicine at us. And we fill them with medicine. We go and we fill ourselves with medicine. And what we do is we simply suppress or medicate or numb the very thing that, that God is using to try to indicate that there's something wrong that we need to deal with. And if we did that, everything would change. Everything would change. I'll tell this story and I'm done. You've heard some stories of Tracy's uh, father who has since passed away. But when he was approximately 53 years old, he was in an incredible, terrible automobile accident. And uh, for the next 25 plus years, however long it was, he had this, this steel rod in his back. And uh, it was very difficult for him to walk or even to move. But when, when he was first uh, tended to after his accident, um, because of his hospital stay and everything else, he... He was a big man. Jim McAbee was a giant of a man. And when I say giant, I mean he was a big, big man. I, I, I never saw him, I believe, probably less than 300 pounds. And I know at the end he was probably up towards 400. I never saw him less than 375. So that, I'm just telling you, a human being at 375 is a big person. He was a big man. And, uh, but because of his hospital stay and all that he had gone through, uh, he had lost a lot of weight. I mean, it was as, as thin and trim as I've ever seen him. I remember when he had that brace that he would wear. And it was interesting in those early days uh, because the question was, what was his quality of life going to be because of the automobile accident? And they told him that if he would go to rehab and if he would do what the rehab specialist told him to do, that he could have, I mean, he was, he was never going to run in a marathon. In fact, he wasn't going to run anywhere. He was probably always going to have to have a little brace on his leg and probably use a cane. But they, they really gave him a diagnosis and a prognosis that he could actually get around pretty good. And in the early years, remarkably, he did get around fairly good. But what happened was, for him, is he decided that he wasn't going to go through the whole rehab regimen. He was only going to do part of the rehab regimen. And then he decided after that he'd just stay home. He'd do it either himself, and what he ended up doing was is that he'd just sit in his easy chair, and he did that for the next 25 years. Until finally when we got down to end-of-life issues, there was no ability for him to stand. There was, all of his muscles had atrophied. I mean, he's a gigantic man, and this is lazy boy. And I, I remember we would visit, and of course you love, I love my father-in-law, I mean, he taught me the game of golf, and he would pay for all my golf, I mean, you got to love a guy that'll pay for your golf, I mean, if for nothing else, and, but I used to go home when we travel back, and I'd look at my wife, and I'd say, I, 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 would, I would get mad, I'd say, he doesn't have to be in that chair, 
He doesn't have to be in that chair. And when we got to the end of life, I'd say, we wouldn't be here if he'd have done his rehab. Because I was the one. I was the only one halfway strong enough to do some things with him. And at the end of life, not being indelicate, but every human bodily function that he had had to be dealt with by someone else. Now, I'll let your imagination run with that, but it wasn't a pretty sight. It didn't have to be that way if he would have just done the rehab. I love the man. I want more for the man. He could have had an incredible life with his grandkids and his children and he could have traveled and he could have seen the world and he could have experienced all kinds of things that he would have never seen. He he had the opportunity. Lord have mercy. He made a million dollars. The only man I ever knew that got hit by a semi and made a million dollars. He had the money. Anything he wanted to do and he sat in a chair and he atrophied and he died Because he wouldn't Do the rehab It's painful. It's long. I don't like it. I Can get by now. That's what he used to say. I get around I can just get in my wheelchair and I can still wash the car and I can still get around I can still drive he'd make these excuses of it's good enough. I can get by it's good enough It's good enough until about the last decade and all of a sudden it just came crashing on him and he just sat there and atrophied. You know where I'm going? I see people all the time like this. I'll get by. I can handle it. Now, I I I don't have to do the stuff he says. I don't have to be at church. I don't have to be consistent. I don't have to disciple. I don't have to take responsibility myself discipling. I don't have to go to things I don't have to. I don't have to, I'll make it. It's cool. I'm good with God. They'll do all the stuff. And they won't realize that there's a moment, probably about 10 years from now, that there's going to be life's going to come rushing back at them. And all of a sudden, their inner man is atrophied. And you don't have the faith to get through that circumstance. And you don't have the encouragement. You start running around. And you start, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And, and people want to help you. I wanted to help Jim. But there's only so much you can do when, when the man has atrophied. I'm telling you, this is the shot of the Lord before us all. This is the moment that we can start doing our inner rehab. And that inner man can get strong again. And when my time comes 25 years from now, and I'm facing whatever I'm facing, I'm going to be standing, I'm, I'm going to be full of life, I'm going to see my grandkids, I'm going to enjoy my children. I believe I'll have some great-grandchildren at that particular moment. And when I go, I'm not going, I'm not leaving this world on a bedpan, spiritually or naturally. You ain't taking me out on a bedpan. I see Priscilla smiling, you ain't going to get me. I already told the Lord, I said, if you take me, it ain't going to be on a bedpan. And my inner man isn't going to be on a a bedpan. I'm going out of here in the strength of the Spirit. How about you? How are you going out? I don't care where you're at right now. Where you're at right now isn't determining where you can be. So let's stay in rehab. How about that? Amen? Stand with me. Thanks for being patient with me today.